Welcome to another episode of the Faultline podcast, the audio companion to the weekly B2B publication covering disruption in the media and entertainment ecosystem. In this episode, I'm delighted to introduce someone who I've wanted on the podcast as a guest from day one, really, but he's a, he's a global traveler in high demand who's tricky to nail down. This is a video industry legend who's gone from facing fierce resistance in the cutthroat business of video codecs and compression to being the proud founding father of an MPEG standard in its own right. In our world, he's most notorious for three fateful words, off the record. But sometimes he forgets, and for that reason, he's a PR professional's worst nightmare. Please welcome Guido Miedi, CEO and co-founder of Vinova. How are you today, Guido? Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, and um, very well. Very well and great to talk to you as always. Also on record. <laughs> We're definitely yes definitely on record today <laughs> um so guido as is tradition on the the fault line podcast how we start is we will trawl back through the extensive archive of uh articles uh thousands of industry articles stretching back 21 years in the fault line archive to pinpoint when our guest first came onto our radar as a disruptive uh, force in video and you're an interesting case because you featured in more fault line articles than any other guest we've had on the podcast so far and you know they, these are highs and lows there's uh, been agreements and disputes it's been a real roller coaster of a journey but your first appearance on our pages came in april 2015 coincidentally that was only a few months before i joined and this was when vnova first stepped out of stealth mode in london and in our write-up at the time we noted that you know there was a, a palpable sense of surprise that vnova had managed to keep its own secret for the previous five years and and in this piece guido you were described by my editorial predecessor as convincing <laughs> which i suppose has been as much a key ingredient in vnova's success as the core technology itself would you agree with that uh, opening sentiment i totally agree yes <laughs> and it's actually what i what i often uh, say but you know it's it's normal because when we talk about you know it's not just about vnova it's not just about video codex but every innovation and boy do we need innovation in, in our planet today is not just uh, technology it is of course technology you need to do things that work and do what they promise but it's about creating unity. It's about uh, resolving division, separation, uh, fears. Uh, and so convincing people is ultimately the only way to, to get things done in everything, and especially in radical innovation. And I think that's maybe why you've um, featured so prominently in Faultline, because uh, you've spent so much time and effort convincing us, <laughs> as well as a, a lot of other people, <laughs> that, that this thing works. And, you know... Um, I thought it was interesting that in this debut Vnova piece in Faultline from what eight and a half years ago now, it references three vendors that were kind of doing similar things with video compression algorithms at the time. That was Beamer, Faruja, and Magnacom. Although we noted that uh, Vnova was not in the game of perceptual filtering at the time, but during this press conference, you said that you know such a move could be a possibility in the future. And then, of course, less than two years later, in February 2017, you announced the acquisition of Faruja and its patents for pre-processing video before it goes to an encoder. And I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but, you know, at the time of this deal, we suspected that maybe little or no money had, had changed hands. And it was your powers of persuasion that convinced Faruja that its inventions would eventually come to this great financial fruition when merged with 
been over in a sort of a share swap deal. Is there any truth to that? Well, you know, partially, you know, money exchanged hands. You know, we did we did pay for it, uh, you know, decently well. In fact, uh, it was also, you know, of course, uh, with uh, with Ifaruja, you know, we had immediately a very good relationship because indeed he liked that we thought in the same way and we were aligned. Uh, we were also very quick decision makers. Uh, you know, there were other companies that uh, wanted to buy um, Farouja's uh, portfolio. We, w- we were just uh, pretty quick and he probably liked my speech when I first talked to him and told him that we were ready to complete the acquisition in the next few days with no need for further due diligences because we had clear ideas, decision-making power, money, and uh, and so, you know, money exchanged hands, but it was such a simple transaction and such a joint philosophy uh, that uh, that it made it easier. Okay, so we were kind of half right, I suppose. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, both, right, both right and, you know, partially, you know, inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, well, we had, to, we had to put our neck on the line. Um, are you going to give us that price today or is that going to stay off the record forever? Uh, that, that, that's, kind of, that's confidential, but, you know, it was like a, a fair price. Mm-hmm. That's why it wasn't even negotiated. You know, we made an offer that was immediately accepted because... You know, it's also personally, you know, there are kind of different philosophies of like how to deal with negotiations. You know, there are people that prefer to kind of uh, do long carpet negotiations. I'm more kind of the kind of person that tries to immediately give a fair amount and find a deal quickly and uh, effortlessly. I know that not always and not in all cultures it's appreciated. So sometimes you need to haggle a bit, but, uh, you know, my preference would always be to give fair price immediately and then just close the deal quickly. And luckily, it's what happened in basically all, all the contracts that we signed so far. You know, there was very little negotiation. Oh, I love the fact that it's a standard MPEG-5 LCC because licensing is yeah. open. The price, you know, there's no negotiation mm-hmm. to make. You know, it's actually... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, so obviously, we've written uh, extensively about Vnova since its inception, really mostly positive, of course. While you know maintaining that sort of skeptical and cynical edge that that we're known for. But in mid 2018, we ran a story with the headline: "The Vnova Problem: Great Product, Few Customers." And I seem to remember that you didn't dispute this statement at the time, although you you did deploy some trademark Guido uh, deflection techniques, I seem to remember. But you know, this was pre LCVC, so I think your your business model is different now. Um, but, you know, how would you react um, if we ran that same headline today? It was very true. Yeah. Well, you know, today it's not true of LCVC, but it was true of, uh, of Persis Plus. And it was a big learning for, for, for us as a company because, you know, ultimately we were outsiders. There are benefits of being outsiders in the sense that you can be more innovative. Uh, but also sometimes you need to learn some hard lessons. And we did. And we listened. Because, you know, there were people that at the time, uh, naively, I considered uh, resisting or, you know, even uh, hostile, but became friends ultimately. And we listened to them and they were right, ultimately, because these people were not hostile. They were actually trying to teach us a lesson that, uh, yes, you can have a great technology, but when you're doing something so fundamental and foundational for the digital system, you need to be a standard. You need to kind of do things properly. You need to have independent valuation, validations. 
it's not enough to deploy. For instance, you know, I, I personally made the mistake at the beginning to say, well, we deployed it, it works, it's out, you know, there are you know millions of people using it, so of course it works. But then, you know, I was enlightened when one very prominent uh, um, person in the industry told me, Guido, that just tells me that you are a good salesman, but not necessarily that your technology works. And I was like, oh, he's right, actually, because, you know, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, in order to convince solidly, it needs to be independently validated. It needs to be standardized. There are IP implications. So it was true that editorial, it was a great product because it was a great technology, but it could not be deployed uh, at scale in the form that it was at the time. And and when we understood that and made it ours, you know, essentially we pivoted to a standardization strategy saying, yes, they are right. We cannot scale, even if it works, even if we productized, we deployed, we cannot scale it properly. We cannot do ju- render justice, do justice to this technology if we don't standardize. It'll take years, uh, and uh, and we did it. And uh, and now, actually, with LCVC, instead, we are in a totally different situation because the same people that uh, you know were hostile at the time, but you know not hostile. They were just giving feedback became big friends and partners today, actually. And uh, we adopted our strategy. And now, actually, uh, we are partnering together to deploy a great technology. And so, and that's why LCVC has had such a, a fast attraction in adoption from the ecosystem. We also adopted a very different strategy versus uh, the early days. The early days, we were trying to deploy in bespoke systems, and we did with a proprietary technology. Now with the standard, we are not going for just quick deployments or kind of corner cases, etc. We are really playing the big play of the big ecosystems, which takes time, but it's happening. You know, they, you know, for instance, uh, you know, the announcement from Realtek, a major chip maker, that uh, they integrated LCVC, and of course, also in their press release, there was they did it because of the great demand that it has with major. Uh, players. So in a way, you know, people are like, okay, can I use it today? <laughs> kind of, because there are there have been pilots in Brazil and in other places, and there will be more in the next uh, weeks and months. But the big deployments will come hopefully in 2024 and definitely in big, uh, in, uh, big, big volumes in 25. So it takes longer, but this is scale. And of course, when you're talking about billions of people and ecosystems of this magnitude, uh, it was naive, uh, and I put myself, uh, you know, in, at first uh, to think that it would take less than that. I've always appreciated that um, ability to hold your hands up and admit mistakes. That's not something that we're used to hearing from uh, executives. And I'm glad you mentioned the the resistance um, and the the hostility that's no longer hostility um, because. You know, and we personally, we knew about the involvement of Vnova's Perseus technology in the working draft of MPEG-5 Part 2 LCEVC long before the the lid was, you know, officially lifted at NAB 2019. We were sworn to secrecy, of course. You know, I never signed an NDA or anything, but that was a sort of gentleman's agreement, shall we say. But, you know, this was a fascinating moment because, you know, with this revelation, it, it marked a sea change, not only in, at MPEG, but in the kind of politics of, video you know previously as you alluded to you had these encoding vendors 
that were accusing Perseus of contributing to the commoditization of encoders. You know, some people were saying that the claims to improve efficiency threefold would translate to a one third reduction in encoder orders, you know, placed by a customer for the likes of Harmonic and Elemental. And then here we were at a press conference in Las Vegas in 2019, where Harmonic was suddenly publicly showing support for Vnova and LCVC. And, uh, you know, talk, talk us through how that felt, Guido, because I can still remember your ear-to-ear grin at NAB that year. Yeah, I know. And it, it, it feels good because, again, you know, it's kind of the eternal, uh, you know, question of, you know, when you know, division versus unity. You know, the beauty of this technology and also MPEG-5 LCVC is that uh, it's not displacing anything, ultimately. It's really a benefit for everybody. Like every innovation, it's inevitable to generate fear. You know, so there, there was fear, skepticism, also healthy skepticism, because, you know, frankly, we hear in this industry a lot of BS. So, you know, who is this guy that, you know, why should I believe him? You know, former consultant, uh, you know, so, you know, they are used to kind of inflating things. You know, it's like all, all, all elements weren't necessarily pointing to, oh, yeah, definitely he's a PhD in data coding that has done it for, for, for 50 years and we know it. I was an outsider. We were an outsider as a company uh, and, you know, as spokesperson uh, you know of course i had uh, limited credibility at the time hopefully much more right now and and so it's natural and it felt uh, good that if instead of reacting to resistance you know with the war you react to resistance by saying well you know there are just people that have legitimate concerns let's address these concerns let's talk to them uh, let's listen and work with them, you know, to kind of do it together. And seeing that working was great, not just because it shows that, yes, we could do LCVC. And, uh, and, and by the way, you know, this, this keeps happening. It's not that, you know, it's never fully done. These things are layers and layers. So, you know, the majority of the market has done it, but there are still some people that have fears that, for instance, LCVC competes with, a codec, which of course it doesn't, it doesn't compete with any codec, uh, or it doesn't compete with uh, other kinds of optimizations because we we need all of them uh, at the same time. But you know, it's just a matter of explaining it to them, etc., and just doing things, and then some people understand, some people will understand it later, and you know, it's just just about doing it, and ultimately you know, making friends with somebody that was not a friend before has always been a hallmark of something that I like a lot. You know, it's actually a fun story that my best friend for a lifetime, who is my co-founder at Vinova, you know, at first he didn't like me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and actually, uh, you know, I learned that from a common friend and then we made friends. You know, it's like, you know, I've, I've always had kind of this feeling that, uh, you know, it's like if somebody doesn't like you, there may be something true about that you know you might have done something wrong and figure it out fix it and possibly things will get better yeah no that must be extremely satisfying is that pierre david yeah 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 absolutely we were very very we were super small kids you know we've been best friends since we were in elementary school so you know yeah, no, it's something I face uh, a lot in uh, in my job as well. You know, you make friends, but you also make enemies along the way. That's just the way it is. Um, so, yeah, just going back to NAB 2019, because it was, it was such a fascinating show that year. You know, at the time, Harmonic said, um, the technology is interesting, 
but the business case is even better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a little while before, you know, everyone kind of knew what was meant by that um, when the licensing terms for LCEVC were fleshed out opting for a content-based licensing strategy and I'm, I suppose in some ways did you see the the writing on the wall here because you know we've just had uh, eventually video come out with its own yeah. multi-codec pattern pool with a content-based licensing model we've had access advance you know previously pushed for a content-based licensing model but they face some resistance so I mean how certain are you that this is the way the industry is moving and, and why do you think it's taken this long to get content providers to you know pay their way well, in, in reality, my experience is that I believe nobody ever asked them because, uh, um, or, you know, not possibly, no, I don't know the reality, but uh, but maybe, you know, I can talk about my experience and our experience as Vinova. You know, when, uh, when we started standardizing, we immediately talked to all constituencies, uh, service providers, uh, IP holders, uh, universities, etc., because we tried as I was saying, to generate unity, to kind of listen to feedback, uh, fix some misunderstandings, etc. And one of the first things that we realized is that there was kind of this very strong tension and separation and polarization about licensing and IP, which actually led to very extreme positions, you know, from hyper trolling on one side uh, to let's do everything for free on the other, which of course can never work because, you know, who would invest, uh, you know, at that point, uh, you know, if everything must be free, you know, we all get salaries. uh, So, you know, ultimately somebody must pay for research and innovation. So there must be a business model for generating patents and innovation, but, you know, what can it be? And immediately the way in which we framed the, the problem of defining a licensing model for LCVC was collective, you know, just tell us, you know, what's best. And we found, uh, we understood a little bit better, you know, what were the constraints. So the fact that it's very important uh, that IP doesn't create a tax for devices because we need to kind of make sure that devices don't have a stack uh, of, of taxes and IP costs that may not be used in certain cases. And instead, content providers, if there is a technology that generates a value of X, they are willing to pay a small price. Again, you need to get to a fair level. You know, what's that multiple? You know, if you say, if you do, you know, half it's too much, uh, you know, one tenth, one twentieth, one fiftieth, you know, if you're like one hundredth of the business case, you don't even see it because it's marginal. And and then you decide where to stay, what's the fair level. But but it's very clear that people were available to say, well, you know, if I use a technology and if I have demonstrable benefits, I'm willing to pay a fraction of that, which is very small, which I can't even see in the business case. Uh, and that's fine. And that's okay. Especially if it's easy, if I don't need to kind of track a number of things, if I don't need to provide uh, a lot of, um, uh, you know, complexity in also managing the, the licensing process. And, and that's how we did it. So, so I think that the possible problems that there were before and there are still nowadays come from two drivers. You know, first of all, not talking. You know, the more you talk and the more you try to put things together, you know, again, unity, I'm sorry to be very ecumenic in this call, but, you know, it's the reality of how things work best in life. Um, And the second is also being uh, available to leave money on the table. 
Because another thing is that with IP, and especially if you don't put some business judgment, you tend to kind of want to capture everything with extreme greed. This licensing model that we did with LCVC, of course, opens up for revenue integrity issues. So you are leaving money on the table. Yes, fine. But if you take up very quickly a technology and if you make enough money, okay, you're leaving some money on the table, but, uh, but you are in any case making enough money to, to make it a, an excellent investment. So why not? If instead you try to capture everything, he who tries to get everything very often gets nothing. And, uh, or, or in any case, you get into very big battles and uh, tensions, etc., where you might even win uh, one episode of the of the conflict, but then you don't win the other because you generate reactions that uh, ultimately damage you in the long term, etc. So, I, I again, you know, I prefer talking and finding a solution that people judge fair, and then things fly faster and better. Well, it's just as well you're good at talking. <laughs> now, I, I couldn't sit down with you, Guido, and not mention um, the legend that is uh, Leonardo Chiagiolone. Apologies for that pronunciation. Um, Chiarillone. Thank you. Yeah, I know it's, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of, a, yeah, you know, as difficult as LCVC, you know, kind of a tongue twister. Yeah, exactly. Um, so those who don't know in the audience, um, Leonardo is the founding father of MPEG and, you know, arguably Italy's greatest ever export um, except for perhaps Roberto Baggio. Um, but back in <laughs> back in 2020, Leonardo, he was effectively forced out of uh, MPEG and resigned in a blaze of glory. But what I wanted to mention is that Leonardo was a, a vocal critic of the Alliance for Open Media. You know, he, he described how the success of AB1 would effectively destroy the industry by shifting more power into the hands of a few internet and chip giants and away from the traditional device makers. Guido, I suppose you now kind of have a vested interest in the success of all codecs, given that um, LCEVC is codec agnostic, including AV1. So I'm going to assume you don't agree wholeheartedly with that projection. But, you know, there's an, is there an element of truth there? I'm very friendly with the, with, with the founding fathers of AOM. And yeah. But I, I seem to remember Vinova being critical of AOM's royalty-free claims um, in the past. So, yeah. Is there any element of truth in what Leonardo is saying? Well, you know, Leonardo, first of all, Leonardo is a fantastic person, you know, a, a great leader, you know, in terms of thought leader, in terms of sheer leadership. And I would say he's probably the most important reason why uh, MPEG-5 LCVC exists, because I must confess at the times when I was listening to feedback, as I was saying before, I was a bit skeptical that uh, uh, you know a small company like Vinova could enter such a big machine and be treated fairly. So I was very unsure uh, and given precedence. Uh, actually, a lot of people were telling me they'll rip you apart and no matter your technology or whatever. The reason why I trusted uh, the process, which ultimately demonstrated that there are a lot of fair people in MPEG, etc., and the process was the process was very fair, was Leonardo himself. Because when I saw the chairman, and I remember I met him uh, once in a restaurant, we had a lunch together, and immediately I realized, first of all, the magnitude of the person, and secondly, that I could trust him to to uphold the fair process, which he said he would, and he did. And he did in multiple in, in multiple cases. So he he's great. 
with that said, of course, uh, you can be great and 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 not that doesn't mean that you're always right in everything you say. You know, it's like uh, I have a good reputation for myself, but I admit uh, many mistakes. And this, so especially in terms of AOM, I wouldn't be uh, so critical of AOM at all because AOM responded uh, also to the fact that MPEG at the time made a mistake. So again, you know, it's kind of this, uh, uh, if you are too close, then you generate a reaction because there was with VP8, VP9, uh, you know, essentially certain behaviors were perceived as non-fair and they generated the need to create an alternative. And in general, you know, in, in business, this is often the case. You create uh, double sourcing strategies to say, well, you know, if you're not uh, adding value, I can have an alternative. You know, nobody likes monopsonies or monopolies. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that AOM uh, and in general, anything that tries to do open source is a donation to the world. You know, it's like uh, if if there are companies willing to invest resources and make them free to the world, you know, why should we complain? You know, of course, if that becomes the only thing that is done or if that infringes IP of others, you know, then there is a discussion. But, uh, you know, we don't need to go the other direction and say everything should be open source, everything should be free because that would destroy investment in innovation. That would be... One on one, if you try to do predatory pricing, you destroy essentially a sector, and uh, and of course, you know, I I think nobody wants that. And you know, I, as I said, you know, I have very strong mentors and friends in the leadership of AOM. They don't at all think that, and they are totally fine to pay licensing for uh, sensible and valid technologies, etc. So you know, we are we are not. You know, I think every time I hear excessive polarizations, it's again due to fears and due to potentially people not talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can deny that AOM has been disingenuous about um, some of its claims in the, in the past. But moving on, we know we spoke we've spoken a lot about the past. You know, I want to touch on the you know the the present and the future and more recently you know vnova has been very focused on you know mixed reality experiences and you know, uh, with the vnova presence format for immersive photorealistic cinematic six degrees of freedom and this is interesting because just a, a few weeks ago you joined one of our panel sessions alongside another london-based startup called iSize which just last week was acquired by sony interactive entertainment which is the gaming arm of sony investing in vr and you know pushing into building metaverse experiences so firstly what are your ambitions for lcvc in this vr mixed reality metaverse world and secondly i wonder is the end goal for vnova to pull off a lucrative exit like this and be owned by a giant like sony ultimately or does you know having an mpeg standard make a straight up acquisition like that more complicated well you know i can answer immediately the the, the second question like i do with every investor that asks me i i don't know and in a way i don't like the idea of like targeting an acquisition uh, uh you know and kind of having it as a as a target because that puts you in a mindset of trying to con somebody you know it's like i want to create the package to leave it to somebody else so i think uh you you meaning any entrepreneur it's always good to build a business that is kind of making money and generating value then if there is more value for somebody else 
to own it. So if there is a best owner, so be it. And there are synergies and then you can kind of split uh, the extra value of those synergies. And that's great. You know, an exit can be done in multiple ways, not just an M&A, but, you know, there are, you know, if you generate money, there are multiple ways to make a partial exit or, you know, a full exit, etc. cetera. Uh, so, so the reality is, who knows, but in a way less relevant. Um, and, uh, you know, owning MPEG-5 LCVC is one thing, but Vinova is a technology powerhouse that doesn't just own uh, uh, MPEG-5 LCVC. We have more than 1,000 patents, uh, uh, we have three formats uh, because we also have SIMTVC6 and uh, Vinova Presence. So, and plus, you know, many other things that we could do with our technology. So, you know, LCVC is one very important thing. It's our flagship product, uh, but it's not the only thing that Vinova stands for. We stand for, you know, pushing the future of digital in complex data by means of multi-layer, massively parallel uh, compression technology. So, you know, it's kind of very flexible. And for instance, it has dramatic implications on AI that we are starting to explore. There will be a paper presented at GTC with, you know, at the NVIDIA conference about AI that has almost nothing to do with everything else that was so far done by, by Vinova. But because it's always the same core technology that can be used for, you know, kind of like a Swiss Army knife. In terms of uh, your first question, so, you know, how LCVC kind of carves an important role for the future of VR. I think it's very, very important, as we discussed in our previous in our previous blog, because VR does require to go into more and more pixel streaming, which means by definition, the devices, if especially if the devices become smaller and smaller, as they must, you cannot possibly create a virtual reality that is hyper photorealistic if you do all the processing, the rendering at 120 frames per second on the device itself. You need a quantum computer on your head. You know, it's like you boil an egg on your face. It's not going to happen. You don't want a PlayStation 5 on your face. Even if it becomes three times more efficient, it's still too much. You know, it would need to become a thousand times more efficient and it's not going to happen in the next 10 years. So the only way to have really photorealistic stuff, whether, you know, with technologies like Presence uh, or others, is to do pixel streaming. Pixel streaming means some device, either in your premises or better in the cloud, so that you have complete interoperability, which is also another keyword for XR, because nowadays we have few devices, but the more we have, the more you cannot possibly cater to the specific processing power of every device. You have the... Apple Vision Pro that is a powerhouse with M2 and then you have the Quest 3 that has uh, a chip and then you have the Lenovo device that has another one. You know, how can you possibly customize your application for all of them, especially when you will have 50 of them and not four or five? And so it's important to say you do the computation in the cloud and then you stream a very high resolution viewport of what you are seeing at any one time, which means... Two things. First of all, you have a one-to-one compression because you create essentially a video for every person and you need to stream an ultra-low latency, high-resolution, 4K or more, stereoscopic, uh, 90 frames per second or possibly even more video over wireless connectivity. And uh, speaking of interoperability, you know, maybe in the future, now that iSize has been acquired by Sony, there might be some kind of overlap between LCVC and, and iSize's technology um, with what Sony's building, potentially. 
but I know Guido, you're running uh, nearly 15 minutes late for another meeting. So <laughs> just on a on a closing remark, um, you know, many of um, our listeners will be aware that our uh, CEO and co-founder Peter White sadly passed away recently. He was a, he was a real you know force to be reckoned with, you know, but a real mensch of a man. And you know, he certainly enjoyed a good debate uh, with you, Guido. So I wonder, did you have any memories of first meeting Peter? Uh, did he give you a hard time? <laughs> Oh, of course, of course. And I loved him for that. You know, it's like uh, I was incredibly sudden about, uh, about the news. And I still remember the first time I met him at uh, at the launch uh, uh, of uh, Vinova when we went out of stealth. And uh, it was kind of a typical uh, Peter White performance, which, frankly, I loved because he was, uh, of course, uh, very challenging, but very very to the point to the point that at one point i actually annoyed a lot of other analysts because my comment was like oh my god you really know what you're talking about which <laughs> was admittedly a wrong statement because it might may have been read like you know the others didn't and there were a lot of great <laughs> yeah. analysts as well but you know i really love that he was like kind of drilling uh, phenomenally well in a challenging way because of course he was like you know he was, he was giving me a hard time, but I frankly had a lot of fun. And so immediately after, I remember my PR was telling me, don't talk to that guy, you know, it'll rip you apart, etc." While Well, instead, it did the opposite. I was like, no, no, I want to talk to that guy because, you know, he seems smart. I want to hear his feedback, etc." You know, kind of same thing uh, as what I was mentioning before. And so, you know, we created a relationship where, uh, you know, I appreciated, uh, and again, you know, it, it, like it is with you, it, it's not always, he wasn't always complimenting, etc. So, you know, I wasn't seeking for uh, approval or anything from him. I was actually seeking for good questions, genuine feedback, and very often it would be like asking things. I'm like, oh, don't have an answer for that. Or, uh, or uh, oh, you know, you're right, etc. So, so we created a relationship that was based on, I assume honesty and uh, love in a general sense that we liked each other. You know, it was like an energy of, you know, I I liked uh, his uh, kind of directness and uh, and his insight, frankly, because he understood the industry extremely well. And uh, and so you know, it, I think it's a it's a phenomenal loss for the industry in particular. I love the fact that he had chosen to reinvent himself one more time in a field that is extremely important. So I hope that uh, you know that uh, venture will continue also without him because he demonstrated great insight by you know setting his attention to a field that uh, requires phenomenal innovation in the next few years will require a lot of what we talked about uh, before because if we talk about energy and you know energy is the most important driver of everything in our economy uh, we have so many trends that we need to sift through uh, you know understand you know now with the white hydrogen reservoirs that were found or you know what's happening in batteries electrical energy superconductivity fusion you know it's like uh, renewables uh, you know they you know, what's happening in solar panels? I don't know. Do you know what happened in solar panels, for instance, in the last few years? Tell me, you will laugh about it if you don't. <laughs> I have no idea. An enhancement layer of a layer that gets put on photovoltaic panels and that actually brings the efficiency from 20% to 30 
basically LCVC apply to photovoltaic panels. <laughs> oh, why haven't you used that metaphor in your marketing? That's that's perfect. Ideas are always, you know, good ideas, uh, good ideas, you know, proliferate. But so, you know, but this is just to say, uh, Peter was fantastic because he really, you know, he was always a fantastic person to talk to, whatever you were talking to, you know, whether it was your own business or whatever. And uh, he will be very, very much missed. Yeah. And he'd always um, get to the bottom of the, the truth. And he appreciated your honesty, Guido. And, um, you know, we're trying to continue that legacy and challenge and we'll continue challenging Vnova, you know, especially if those checks don't start rolling in in 2024. Absolutely. You, you are a you are absolutely a, as you know. You are absolutely a worthwhile hair uh, uh, of uh, of his approach because I've I've always liked exactly also in your case the fact that uh, you're not necessarily kind to me, but I like that. You know, I don't need kindness; I need truth, uh, and I like truth. <laughs> yes. All right. That's all we got time for today, Guido. So thank you so much for uh, for guesting with us today. It's uh, always a pleasure talking to you. On a final note, actually, you know, where can people listening to this podcast find you or Vnova, um, the Vnova team, you know, in the coming weeks and months? Where are you going to be in the world if anyone wants a demo or a debate? These days, I'm spending actually about uh, a third to half of my time in the US and very often California. But, uh, you know, I'm very often in London as well. And uh, Vinova in general is everywhere. We were in Brazil, you know, so, you know, that's me, but Vinova in general is traveling a lot. So my co-founder and uh, the management team of Vinova are kind of spread out uh, everywhere, you know, from uh, South America, North America, India, where we have a base also in, uh, in uh, Bangalore, uh, China and uh, Taiwan, you know, and so, you know, we, People can find us in airports, but in major events, hopefully. Otherwise, uh, ping us and uh, we can find the time to, to meet and talk. There we go. Great. Yeah, I'll be seeing you at a show soon. All right. Cheers again, Guido. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs>